Hello, and welcome to the Brand Up Podcast, the place for founders with a million ideas, neurodivergent minds, and growing brands. If you sometimes find traditional marketing advice trickier to follow than you'd like, friend, you're not alone. I've lost count of the neurodivergent founders I've worked with who find traditional marketing advice difficult to follow, exhausting to execute, and frankly, disappointing in its results. On this podcast, you will learn about marketing that works for all kinds of brains. You'll hear conversations with experts who found their way to success, both online and in the real world. Whether I'm interviewing a guest or sharing the occasional solo episode, my promise is that we'll share useful information about how to market your business with more ease and better results, especially if, like me, you're neurodivergent. Two last things before we get started with today's episode. First, I joyfully live in a house with a considerable number of Devon Rex cats, five to be precise. They are a chatty bunch and they really don't like it when I close my office door. So if you hear them crying, fear not. I promise they get all the cuddles in the world once this recording is over. And two, I am prone to dropping the occasional sweary word. And I invite my guests not to censor themselves either when they join me on the podcast. So if you have sensitive ears around, pop some headphones in and you'll be all set. Let's get to today's episode. Well, hello. You are in for a treat today. My guest, G. Sabini Roberts, is a branding genius. They create exquisite, powerful visual brand identities faster than you can say snap. They're the founder of Branding by G., the co-founder of Queerbox, the creator of a very cool card game called Happy Families, the Progress Edition, and the co-editor of Neurodiverse Entrepreneurial Awesomeness, all while parenting many, many, many children. They're also an activist, a speaker, and a trainer, advocating for queer and transgender rights, and always, always speaking up for neurodivergent folk. Basically, they're a great human. I was lucky enough to work with G a few years back to bring my brand to life. We went from a blank canvas to a full visual brand in one day. I couldn't believe it. I'd walked into the day with a brand I really didn't like. We started from scratch, and by the end of the day, my head was spinning and my computer was packed with every visual resource I needed to make my work online shine. Two years on, we're still playing together now and then with my brand, and I still love it. That's the power of co-creation and something G is particularly skilled at. In this episode, we talked about how they didn't set out to be the fastest branding whiz in the West, but got that way through happy circumstance. G built a business around the way they want to work and what they need to make their work excellent. That's something we could all do with thinking about. If you've ever thought about how to shape a personal brand that works as your business evolves, this episode is for you. 
G and I really share an approach to the two sides of branding that we work on. Theirs is visual and mine is voice. And in both cases, we're trying to break down the barriers to people showing up as themselves online to build a profitable business. Together, we've created a powerful conversation that I am delighted to share. Hello, welcome, Jay. Hey, delighted to be here. Mm. Me too. Me too. So delighted to have you here. This conversation has been a very long time in the making. Hasn't it just? So you and I have worked together on my branding, thankfully, Mm -hmm. and it was a delightful, remarkable, and lightning fast process. And I'm curious when you work as a brand designer with your clients, what it is that helps you to do your work quickly and so effectively because your designs are extraordinary and they're so like you designed a whole entire new brand for me from scratch in four hours or six yeah, hours or pretty something. much yeah it was wild yeah um that's a really hard question to answer in that way because the backstory isn't that that was the goal I did not set out to figure out how to create visual brands really quickly I set out to not get frustrated by the design process. So this feeds very much into the fact that I'm autistic. And one of the things that I feel very strongly, and it's certainly part of that comes from from the autistic aspects of myself, is anything that is inefficient, I cannot abide. If it's not working and it's most efficient, then I want to fix it and I want to make it work better. So that traditional design process where someone sets a brief and you create multiple iterations and then it gets tweaked and goes backwards and forwards is it's the most inefficient way to create anything and it's also we lose the humanness once we start turning something into a paper-based process where we've got account managers in the middle and anything human in there has gone and it turns out I'm only interested in working with human-based businesses. Anyway, I'm interested in humans. I, I, the corporate side of branding has never really done it for me at all. So the whole process is about how do we create visual brands? How do I take that design process and not hate it? How do I make it more functional for me? It came from a point of me wanting to enjoy my work more. And then it happened ultimately by accident, where a particular client about 10 years ago happened to be local. We were struggling to figure it out that way. We met up at their dining table, and in a couple of hours, we created a visual brand that was a million miles away from anything that we'd previously thought of. But it was that collaborative process of being in the same space, of me being able to say, oh, I saw your eyes light up when you mentioned that color uh, you know and oh that story about how you got here is fascinating do you realize that actually we can represent that by this form here and it becomes then uh, an adventure and we take it together and so that's how it started it started because I was frustrated with a process that didn't work and over a bit of good fortune and then honing it over a period of time, it evolved into a process whereby every single brand we create is an adventure that we take together. I have no idea at the start where it's going to end up. Neither do you, neither does the client. 
we have all of the things that they love, that they like, their energy, how they turn up in the space, how they talk. You know, when we talk about the business, how the bits and pieces of it fit together. And what we're creating is the visual language that represents that human, that story, that set of offers, that mission, all of those things we weave together, we're creating that visual language. So it's more, it happened by accident, ultimately. And then it became something that over a decade has been honed into what is now a really efficient process whereby it it just kind of works. It would be really hard for me to try and define it in any way more than that. But when we get together in a space, we get to bounce off each other's energy I get to see the twinkle in your eye, even if it's over a Zoom call. I get to hear the excitement in your voice when that shade of pink really bounces well off that shade of yellow. And <laughs> we have something magical. And it's fun. I Working with you, having been in agencies, in, in communications agencies um, in previous decades of my career, and one in particular, the first uh, comms agency that I worked in, we were in the same space as an advertising agency. And so we, we, we were part of the, the Omnicom or the Omnivore group for people who are in business. We often call it the Omnivore group. Um, and we could, I could see the graphic designers and there was this whole, yeah, this whole hierarchy of the client team would brief the agency team and the account director would then, and, and the, and the designer wouldn't even be in the room. And then the, account director would go and brief the designer who was in a little dark cubicle. <laughs> it's really awful. A little dark windowless doorless cubicle where they would, you know, crank out what they could best interpret from the account, from the, the account director who would then, you know, yes, no, yes, no. And then they would have three different options. They would feed back to the client team. And it just felt like such a laborious, it was such a laborious, painful. And as you say, inhuman in the sense that there just wasn't the, the people who needed to connect with each other weren't connecting mm -hmm. with each other. And there was all this kind of pseudo bureaucracy in the middle of it that got in the way and it, and being able to work with you. And I found you through, um, through Gemma Went, who yes. is, or will be, I can't remember if by the time we publish this conversation, she will already have will already have published our conversation together, or if she's coming up. But either way, look for that as you're listening. Um, Gemma, you had done some amazing design for Gemma, and she really recommended you. And I remember feeling a little nervous about the process because in my first brand, when I had taken a huge step away from communication and founded a yoga business after innumerable hours of training, like 600 hours of training to become a yoga teacher... Um, I spent two and a half thousand pounds I didn't, hadn't yet made on a really beautiful logo and a really, really, really beautiful complex WordPress website. And it was not the right time. And it was, even though I was just working with one designer, it took a really long time to do. And it was a huge investment for something that didn't end up working the way I needed it to work. And eventually I shuttered it. And so coming into work with you, I was a little, you know, it was spending money again to have a brand made again. And the second brand for this business, because the first one I'd made, I just didn't, it was way too corporate and I didn't like it. But working with you was so joyous. And one of the things that I loved about working with you is that because you are so forthright about 
autism being part of your particular brain wiring. And you're so clear and entirely unapologetic about the way that you work. <laughs> In fact, you celebrate the way that you work and you're super clear about your boundaries. It meant that I've also felt comfortable and because I knew you before anyway, I also felt very comfortable coming in with my ADHD and distraction and, you know, getting bored quickly and, and being able to bring that into the conversation and say, look, when we design this brand, I know I'm going to get bored with whatever we make. It doesn't matter how amazing it is. Can, and, and you designed that brand so that the visual elements can move around each other. There is a consistency in it, but there isn't it's not just two colors and I have to use them this way. The end, yeah. you really created something that worked for the way that my brain actually works so that it could stand the test of time. And that was thrilling. And you were so fast. You were so <laughs> fast. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I love doing it. And, and I love the fact that we're still working with it. You know, a few years in, we are mm -hmm. finding new ways to evolve that same visual brand. It, it It's, really exciting um we've got to say none of this works in a corporate setting you know we've got to in order to function in this way we have got to blow up that notion that anybody knows better than anybody else you know, we can't have a this this is the person that's going to tell you i do get people coming to me because this is the way they've been taught saying i need you know, tell me can i do this and can i do the other and my answer is you can do whatever the hell you want always but now let's think about how we do that. And I think this is where the parallels between you and I in the way we work, obviously we are both in branding uh, and uh, the way we see that, we, what's the word? We are entirely compatible in the way we approach the notion of a brand and the notion of a human being who is representing their brand and communicating as their brand in whatever way they, they need to do that. The human bit is where the gold is. So as long as we are working with human beings, this stuff works brilliantly. And it works brilliantly because we then get to celebrate all of the joyous things about that human being. Because your story is so common. I encounter so many clients who have had branding experiences historically that have not worked brilliantly for them. And there has to be that deprogramming that goes on saying, you know, you, you are the boss you are the person that makes the decisions here. And if you don't feel empowered to make those choices, then you're not going to be able to get out there and sell what you do and the impact you can have. You simply won't. If you have to try because you're trying to represent something or be something or do something or look like something, you've immediately put a barrier in front of your place, in front of yourself. So this is this process, the way you and I work, it's about removing that barrier. It's let's work it out so that we now have a really clear set of rails to function in, a clear set of rails that is the right one for you. It's never going to be the same as anyone else's so that your path to being able to openly, happily, joyously talk about the impact you want to have in the world and how you do it, we make it really easy. For me, it's visuals. For you, it's voice. We are taking the same journey. Yes. Now, this brings me to one of the perhaps contentious uh, positions that I take, which is that for me, having had that experience of spending 
lots of money to get a beautiful visual brand made because I was really excited. So many, so many first time business owners, especially get so excited about the visuals and making the business card and, you know, look, come on, no hands. I made this great thing. You know, <laughs> you can show your grand, you can show, you can show your neighbor, you can show your former colleagues, you can show whatever. There's a thing that they can go see. Oh, do you have a website? Can I go yeah, see it? It feels real. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah. It looks amazing, right? It's real. It's a, it's, I understand why it's like that, but my contention is that before, long before you go and work with somebody amazing, I highly recommend G. Um, you go and work with someone to create a visual brand. You need your, to know who your brand is and what its voice is. And I, I speak of it as a separate thing from you because it's what I've seen in working with my clients. I think every single one of which is, and every single one of whom is neurodivergent or pretty close to diagnosed or not. Um, there is this, it's important to, to establish some distance between the brand and ourselves. And so I will often say, you're not your brand. You bring certain parts of yourself to your brand. And I'd like to ask you about how you choose to bring certain of your parts to your brand, but you're not like, nobody gets a piece of my pinky finger or a lock of my hair when they buy my work. And that's why to me, where I, you said to me when we first worked together, okay, so yours is a personal brand. And I went, no, no, I have this position. And you were like, yeah, but you're the only person speaking for your brand. And you're the person who is going to deliver the service. And you're the only one anyone's ever going to deal with. You have a personal brand. And I remember being like, no, it's not a personal brand. <laughs> but whether we labeled it as such or not, what was really what I think contributed to making my part of the design process easy was that when you asked me questions, I had an answer. I was really clear. I knew what the mission of the business was. I knew what my values were. I knew how over the past X amount of time I had shown up online and in spaces with other people who are working online. It wasn't something that I would have known if I had done it at the very early stages, like I did with my yoga business. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on what comes first, voice, message, voice and message or visuals. And I'm going to be really annoying by saying you cannot always say one way or the other. Mm. So All for right, some people, it's for a person like you and your experience and the way you, you approached it for you, that was really important. Um, but the way I see the work that I that we do is ultimately what we are doing is we are removing barriers that people have between themselves and their ability to get themselves out there. That's what we're doing. The processes that we take people through remove that barrier. And different people have different barriers at different times. So for some people, it might be an absolute barrier. They can't even start to explore who they are because they haven't got to the point where they've been able to do enough of the work because for them, not looking the part is a barrier. And that's why mm. I deliver different levels of what I do. So you can work with me for 90 minutes to get that starter. Let's get you some visuals that will get you out the door. And you don't need to be able to answer all of the questions that you answered in your session. You know, our session was a much more comprehensive session that was tailored for people more at that stage in the journey. And there are other people out there who will be in those earlier stages 
and not having brand visuals is not going to be a barrier for them. So for those people, absolutely do the work, get to the point where you know yourself well enough before we then create that much more polished, cohesive visual language for what you're doing. But for other people, the barrier is I, I don't know how to I don't know how to make a social media post look good because I don't know how to make anything mm. look good. And for those people spending 90 minutes to just create a, enough of a logo that they love, enough of a color palette, enough of a, a set of visual guidelines that gives them the confidence to walk out the door is enough. And yeah. then we come back a couple of years later and we refine it and we enhance it and we evolve it. So it is a chick it's a bit of a chicken and an egg because everyone's going to be different. In order to do mm. it deeply at the way in the way that you and I did and the way that my more established clients do, absolutely. We you need to have done that work. You need to know your voice. Yeah. But that won't be the case for everybody. So that's yeah, that that's really interesting. And thank you for the nuance. Um my brain loves an always never um scenario. <laughs> So, so I'm giggling at myself. Thanks brain for, for tossing up and always never that I didn't catch there. Um, but yeah, it makes sense because if, if you perhaps, you know, creating a business to sell amazing dog accessories or singing lessons or, um, consultancy work, you don't ever create those businesses thinking, oh goody, I get to design a whole bunch of content visually and verbally and I get to market my business all the time or as much as I possibly can and sell things that's never why we create businesses and so you're it, it's I, I recognize myself in that need to have something that conveys what I want to convey with my visual brand which is why I'm so happy with the work that we've done and why I keep coming back so we just had a session yesterday at time of recording um we had another one the week before and I do just have these little touch-ins with G about, okay, here, now I need this new thing. We're going to do, I'm, I'm not going to name the social platforms, but the plan is to, for this podcast <laughs> to be on lots of social platforms. And so that means that I need visuals for all of those things. And so you and I work together to just put very quickly as you work, um, put together those visuals so that on those new platforms, in those new ways, I have something new that, that excites my brain, that tickles my, you know, tickles my my dopamine center and I'm excited to share. Yep. But also I get that it, it, if you don't have the voice and you're earlier on in your journey, having some visuals to hang your hat on kind of gives you a, a scaffolding yep. that you can, you can step up yep. on to get out into the world. Absolutely. It's, and it's going to be different for everybody. I'm interested in removing the barriers. I say that's probably the most consistent thing in, in all of the different things that I do because I, I'm not just a brand designer, but it's about removing barriers. No. So let's talk about that because one of the things that I'm endlessly fascinated by when I see people who are marketing their work online is very few people I find are calmly skilled at having a what feels a clear and... Um, solid container around what is and goes into their brand and what is personal and separate to that. And because you work in um, diversity and inclusion, you are, an, as a trans person, you are speaking up about trans rights and trans issues, and you're talking about the LGBT, LGBTQI plus community. And um, 
you, there's a lot of personal in your messaging, in your brand. And yet I also have this sense that you're not confused about what you'll share and what you won't share. And you have this ability to convey messages that are powerful and to take stances around transgender rights, transgender issues, generally speaking, neurodivergence, because as a parent of neurodivergent kids like me, and as a neurodivergent person yourself, these are, these are things that we face and grapple with ourselves and with our kids mm -hmm. every day. And I would be really interested to know, as you've gone through this process of building the business that you have now over these 10 years, since that fortuitous encounter with the client that you got into <laughs> physical space with, have you been methodical and thoughtful and made conscious decisions about what comes into the brand and what doesn't, or has it been an organic process or born of conversations with your wife or like how, or with yourself or with friends or. It's, it's been both. It, it's been all of those. It, it, and so the simple answer is it has been organic, but it has also not been entirely unconscious. So that evolution has it, it the, in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, the online world has is, is evolved many, many times. It is, it is different week on week on. It is changing all of the time. So there is always going to be that evolution, that honing of, of at least figuring out what works and where your comfort zones are. But I have always generally been very open. And this started way back in my early 20s, you know, when live journal was a thing. And, and this is how, you know, I, that was how I started to really connect with other humans in online spaces was essentially through blogging and, and journaling online. And that was all for personal use. That was just, that was just a way to connect with other humans because we hadn't yet created all of the forums that we have now as a, as a queer person who was trying to start a family who was at that point, not even aware of my own trans identity. I hadn't reached that point in my own process. It was it was how we started to find other humans that were going to be our community. So we start, I started there. And then I think partly because of the autism, one of the classic autistic things is, is having no filter. Yeah, I 100% share way more than a lot of people would be comfortable sharing. And I am comfortable with sharing the things that I share. I have learned to hold back on things in part because of other people's comfort. You know, because yeah, I have I have a wife, I have people close to me. I have things that go on that I will quite happily share, but I know that the people around me would not be happy with me sharing because people would potentially infer things about them too. So the, the boundaries have come in place really more to support the people around me than myself. And also to to work out how to do it safely as I've evolved, because I've definitely stepped too far at times. There are there have been things that I've said, things that I've done, things that I've been open about online that that have ultimately opened the door to abuse. Um they put my me at risk. They have revealed personal things about myself and other people that in retrospect, I'd probably rather hadn't been revealed. And so I'm 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 more cautious now, but I'm still only cautious in a in a comfortable way. Okay. If we take this back to where we're thinking about 
the personal brand notion and how we choose to put ourselves out in the world, recognizing that people will see us and perceive us as a human being. And other people's perceptions of us are going to be that we're actually sharing everything. Uh, you, you'll have, you'll find this too. Once you start being public in some way, shape or form online, there are people out there who believe they are now your friend because they know enough mm -hmm. of your personal life to have feel like they have that picture. Yeah, And then when you get to the point where you're, you're, you meet these people for the first time and they feel they know you and you actually don't really know them. It, it, I find that really interesting because our perceptions are also so different. So we're bringing it back to that notion of choosing what we share. And the only way I know to do it well is to do what feels real. So I would feel entirely wrong trying to tell a story online that paints a picture that isn't fully true. I'm not capable of doing that anyway. But if I was trying to curate a personal brand or a perception that I was trying to do it because I thought that was going to work well. This was going to enhance my business. This was going to make it easier for me to form these kinds of relationships. If I'm, if I'm putting that kind of conscious process into what I choose to share, I will shut down. I think this is partly an autistic thing is, is I'm not really capable of saying things that I don't feel are, can be true, are true. I'm just not able to do that. And if I'm trying to perform in some way, shape or form, I stop being able to do it well. Suddenly my anxiety is through the roof. This goes back to, you know, I've reached a point where I am unmasked the vast majority of the time. And having to try and present myself as anything other than how I feel in the moment is a form of masking that I'm choosing not to engage in anymore. So... Yeah if there is something going on that I don't feel it's appropriate to share, or I know the people around me would feel it's inappropriate to share, I simply won't speak. So everything okay. that people really see helpful. is real. And I, every door that I open, I open completely. You can entirely see this part of me. And then there are other doors that just don't get open. And that yeah. takes away that barrier because I'm not trying to give an impression of something. Yeah. It, to use words that Sarah Kedge um, would use, you're not using up energy, precious energy biscuits to pretend and to remember what you were supposed to pretend and to keep pretending the pretending that you did before that tired you before and now it's going to tire you tire you even more to pretend it's what when if you're listening to this and you've never heard the the term masking before um it's essentially pretending to be certain ways to think certain ways to behave certain ways and it is exhausting the conforming um to norms if like I'm, I'm air quoting norms very strongly but expectations baked into society and culture and we all have many that are shared and some that are specific to our upbringing and, um, and our experience, but, or, our, or our industry, for example. Oh, hello. I have an invitation for you. Do you ever feel like you're always starting from scratch when you create marketing content? 
or hired a freelancer who did an okay job, but somehow their words just didn't sound like you? Maybe you have team members waiting for you to approve marketing content so you can get the word out about your amazing offer. Ugh, I feel you. It's hard. And I have good news. What if you could curate everything you know about your brand into a comprehensive collection and have it handy by your side every time you wanted to communicate? Or better still, hand it over to your team, brain transplant style, so you'd be sure that they'd get the voice just right. You can. Helping you do that is my superpower which is handy because I'm currently taking applications for Loud and Clear. It's the small group program that I created to help entrepreneurs like you sort through all that muddled spaghetti of stuff that you know about your brand. We start early in 2024. Want to come along for the ride? Over three months, we'll create a resource that saves you time, effort, energy, and money. Best of all, it gets your work known without you ever having to start from scratch or be the bottleneck for your team. If you're ready to focus on what you do best instead of all the marketing, then Loud and Clear might be for you. If you know that you need to do this work, but group programs aren't really your jam, I also work one-to-one. -one. The link to contact me about this is in the show notes. Or you can get in touch with me on socials at Andy Ferguson. Whether you are interested in the Loud and Clear group program, or if you think you'd like us to rock it ahead, the two of us together. Either way, sharing what's in your head helps your brand grow. Let's get back to the episode. This brings me to a question that you asked me when we very first started working together, which was deeply uncomfortable to me. For context. I had um, my yoga brand, which I loved very much, which was inviting international women, international moms in and around Geneva, where I live in Switzerland, to come together to for the yoga, but to stay for the community, because it's a very difficult place to meet people here. The local people are, will tell you themselves that they're just not that open to the squajillions of expats who come in and then leave a few years later. They're understandably... Um, a little wary of people who come and go and for various socioeconomic reasons. And so that business was for moms specifically in the day, moms who weren't working and didn't have their kids with them and could come and do this thing. Okay, fine. That was my choice. Then the next business was an extension of that. And it was an international community for moms. So I took the same concept of the business, put it online. And that was for moms because I needed it and I knew that other people needed it. And so I created it and through various twists and turns of, of fortune, I've come back to my roots in communication and have been for years and was messaging that I work with female entrepreneurs who, um, struggle to explain what it is that they do because they have so many details in their heads. And one of the first things that you said to me in your very pragmatic, calm way was, why are you only messaging to women? What is it about the work that you do that means that it can't be done with people of other genders or who don't identify with specific gender? And as someone who, uh, you know, I, I read a lot, I consume a lot of content from all kinds of different creators. 
gender non-binary, transgender, queer, people from all different ethnicities. That was a little uncomfortable. It was a bit of an uncomfortable question <laughs> to hear you ask me that. And, and it was a very, very fair question because there's no reason other than my own assumptions, mm -hmm. really, that women had a specific set of problems around communicating, around taking up space, around uh, being taught to be nice and please people and share all the time and be, you know, outgoing, but not too much, assertive, but not aggressive, et cetera. And your pushback to me at the time was, yeah, but there are all kinds of other people who have that experience too. And why would you not make your work available to them? Can you talk a little bit about how you see the role of gender in branding and marketing overall? Oh, I love the way you phrased that question. Um, because the simple answer is I don't see gender in marketing and branding. Partly because I don't see gender. I'm non-binary. Actually, I'm agender. Um, I'm the bit of non-binary that really does not experience. So on, on a personal, from a personal standpoint, I do not experience gender. It does not compute for me. Gender is a construct. And we are all human beings. We are all people. And we all look and have bodies and present and feel and identify in all of these different ways. But the relevance of gender in the way you may connect with another human being, from my perspective, is irrelevant. I'm going to connect with that human being for all kinds of reasons, and their gender is not one of them. So there's a personal position here, which is partly through having gone through my own gender journey and having had to deconstruct what the concept of gender is to me and have come out the other end of that realizing that it yeah, i'm quite happy with it being entirely deconstructed and in pieces on the floor and, and that's good for me i now find myself seeing that in, in a lot of places we live in a society that is inherently binary gendered we just we this is the world that we live in so it's entirely to be expected that a lot of people who have grown up in that world who've lived their entire lives with these concepts of there's there's men and there's women and, and this is this is who those people are and that's it and even to an extent of having trans identities you know sometimes those people will move from one to the other that's still potentially binary gendered for people who haven't had the opportunity or haven't for whatever reason, haven't explored that any more deeply because there has been no need to in their day-to-day -day existence. So it's quite common that people will have, just not question that. If I'm talking about mums, I'm talking about women, and there's a there's a comfort and a safety in that, and the society we live in says, hey, we all of these people nicely fit in a box, and we can we can keep tying a nice ribbon around that, and we're we're all good. Thank you. We haven't necessarily had the opportunity to do that deconstructing to do that questioning of actually what are we trying to say here and as soon as we do that's when things get a lot more interesting because everything about the binary gendered construct everything about the world in which these genders are gendered identities and gendered ways of doing things exist relies on assumption yeah 
this is a space for this kind of person. And by putting that label on the door, the people who walk through that door are going to be this. And any time that we find ourselves making assumptions about a person that we have not connected with properly yet, we, again, are putting up a barrier. I'm expecting this kind of thing from this person. I'm expecting this kind of experience from this person, this kind of connection from this person. And firstly, we limit our own opportunities to experience all kinds of cool different things. We also make it more challenging for that person if they don't fit that expectations. We then find ourselves in a situation where we've got surprise, you know, oh, you didn't fit the box that I thought you were going to fit in. Oh, I no longer feel safe being here because you've assumed me to be something that I'm not. We've got all of this challenging stuff. And that's where challenges come in. We make assumptions. So to go back to your story about the fact that you were marketing to mums is what was that about? And you, in your introduction here, you were really articulate about what it was about. It was about the experience that people had about struggling to find community and juggling all of the things. And that experience is a very challenging experience and absolutely setting up community setting up ways to for the for people who are having those experiences to find each other that's brilliant please yes do that as soon as we say you need to identify in this way in order to validly join this community of people who are having this experience we've just put a barrier in front of those people and in front of our ability to make connections with people who are maybe slightly outside what we originally thought they might be and what a loss Indeed. And, and thinking about, as I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm thinking about um, my kids' primary school. There was a, a family where they had, I think, three little kids. and They must have had them in very rapid succession because they were three kids under five or something. And it looked like the person who was home with the kids, which is often the case here in Geneva, there's often a parent who comes with their job and the other parent isn't given permission to work by the government. So you can come, you can come, you can live, but you can't work. Um, so it creates this sort of 1950s bubble, which is certainly what I stepped into when I came here. Um, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation, but also it's not because in maybe on the first level of exclusion there of, of the message was this dad who this, this male presenting being, who was a dad who didn't seem to be doing very well. We never spoke, but you could sense the isolation. And, and even just without knowing him, I can very easily imagine, and I may very well be wrong, but I can easily imagine that it would be for as much as it was isolating to be one of the myriad 1950s, suddenly mums having left a career behind and all of the other things and suddenly finding yourself, you know, almost wearing an apron and, you know, carrying slippers to the front door every evening. I imagine that the experience of that when you are something other than a gender conforming mom would be even more exponentially more um, isolating. So yes, there probably would have been quite a lot of enriching for all of us if more people had been available to come into those classes and to, to care for themselves in that context. So it's a it's a perfect example. And I remember you saying to me when we were working together initially, and we were having this comfort, 
not, not comfortable conversation for me, but really important was, you know, even I, you said, I can't think of a single thing that should be marketed exclusively to one gender. And you said, even, even, you know, sanitary underwear, like period underwear, it's not just women, people who identify as women who wear sanitary, like period underwear. It's not. Yeah. And so what are we doing with the messaging? Why is it messaging to women and girls only when it's not just women and girls who are having periods? I would say, maybe this is a, an evolution in my, in my thinking, but I would say that actually there can be. But, okay. but um, it has to be very specific. So it is entirely okay to, for example, create a space that is exclusively for women. If you say, if you identify as a woman, you are welcome in this space. That means you are welcome to anybody who identifies as a woman. You can't know what's inside their underwear. You know, you can't genital check at the door. You may have trans women. You may have intersex people. You may have anybody who is identifying as a woman. You may have gender fluid people who move between and on that day are identifying as a woman. You can create a space that is based on identity and say everybody who identifies in this way is welcome here. You just can't exclude the trans people who identify that way. So it comes down to trans exclusion at the end of the day. You can also mark it entirely based on an experience. So people who have periods, people who who have prostate issues, you can talk about an experience. People who, who have toenail fungus, some of these things relate to certain mm. types of bodies uh, and some of these things could relate to any body, but they're experience-based. People who have experienced trauma, people who are feeling isolated within this community, you can't exclude trans people from that either. You're going to have people from already. You might say, well, this is for people who have periods. You're going to potentially have non-binary people and trans men in that space. So the challenge is you can't exclude trans people. You can mark it based on identity if for whatever reason, that identity matters. I will 100% stand up and fight for the rights of women to have exclusively women's spaces. I will never be in those spaces, but I 100% believe those spaces should exist for all kinds of reasons. You know, we've, we've got all kinds of things to do with trauma history. We've got all kinds of things to do with historical. We don't need to go there now, but it's entirely okay to have exclusive spaces for particular identities and for particular experiences. You just can't put them together. As soon as you start saying, this is a space for women who are breastfeeding, that's where the problems arise. Because the service you're offering is catering to a certain need and you're excluding people who don't identify a certain way. So I think that's how we can simplify it down. You've got two options, identity or experience. Both of those things are okay to market to. You just can't do them simultaneously. Super interesting. Can we take that Please a little do. bit further? You can't combine identity. So you're you're saying you cannot combine identity with experience in your marketing. However, um, my brain is coming up because this is part of what my brain does with 70 bajillion yabats. What about Please this? What about yeah. this? What about this? So if you want to create a women only experience for 
trauma survivors, for example, or you want to create a, um, I don't know, I, I live by the mountains. So we're, we're going to imagine that we're creating a, a, a retreat for um, empty nesters, women who are empty nesters and who suddenly find themselves, these 1950s bubble mm -hmm. women who never wanted to be there in mm -hmm. the first place are suddenly without the, their main source of occupation. And so we're going to create a, a retreat, a mountain hiking retreat for, for mm -hmm. these women. Specifically to be in a space where they can talk about what it's like to have lost their professional identity in coming here or um, have lost some dimensionality yeah. in their lives from, from coming to live here. And it's specifically around the, the mother role and this empty nest experience. So we can, what you're saying is market to the empty nest experience yeah. and the fact of suddenly finding yourself at loose ends or market to, this is a retreat in the mountains for women of this demographic, but don't mention the empty nesting. Is that what you're saying? Don't blend gender and experience because I, well, no. Let's 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 map that through. So to to, to mm, go yeah. deeper into that. So if you were saying this is for the experience and it's anybody who has this experience, yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, this is the lived experience, and we are welcoming anybody who is going through this empty nesting experience. To add in the this is for women. Uh, the the, ch the challenge is here. My question is why, why. If the focus is on the experience, why do people have to identify a certain way? I usually find it can be quite simple when I, I can, because I'm in a very privileged position in these conversations of being somebody who's assigned female at birth, but does not identify as a woman, I can say, well, would I be welcome? Would, if, if I was an empty nester, yeah, I put myself 10 yeah. years in the future, I'm an empty nester and I've got those feelings. Would I be welcome in that space? I suppose the answer to that would would be found in whatever the 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 founder or the organization that creates the retreats, whatever their values were, right? If their if their values were of openness and inclusion and diversity, then absolutely. And if their values were aligned with religious dogma or I don't know. It's, it's not how I think. So I'm trying yeah, to struggle. And, and to I think that's example, the challenge but... is the people that we're having these conversations with are not those people. The, the people who would choose to have a, an event like that, that is very exclusive and, and, and maybe it's tied to, to, to religious dogma or something else. They're not the people who are having these conversations. They're not interested in these conversations because they are going to be challenging. We are only having these conversations with people who ha have a genuine intent to put more love out into the world, to be inclusive, to celebrate the fact that different types of people exist and they're not always going to look like you. Those are the people that we're having these conversations with. And in that story of what that potential event might look like, the question is always why? What is it that would make that space suddenly feel not okay if somebody who had a different gender experience walked into it would be. 
what would make it unsafe? And I find this often now, the conversations I'm having with people around this are not so much, I don't want somebody like that in my space. They're about, um, there are other people who are going to be in that space who would object if a trans person was also there. I've got direct examples of this. People who, one client fairly recently, runs, historically has run retreats for women and was faced with this challenge of a a number of places had already been paid for and booked on a retreat and a trans woman said, oh, would I be welcome? And that's where the dilemma is because they wanted that trans person to be welcome, but they didn't know if the people who had already booked on would feel okay with a trans woman being there. And that's the challenge that we have is actually, if you are somebody who has is taking that position of hosting, of curating, of leading an event or a space or an offer, whatever the thing is, if you are leading it, You get to choose the values you apply to it. And that means if you want that space to be inclusive, you need to be open about that from the start. You need to be willing to deal with the potential fallout of saying, yes, you're a trans woman and you're welcome. And I am going to hold the space where people are dealing with whatever whatever challenges they might have, whatever prejudice they may bring into the space. Actually, let's not wait till we're in the space and, and wait for the explosion to happen. Let's have these conversations up front now. It's very hard to backtrack into that, but certainly for that, yeah. for an individual in that situation, any future event, it's very clear. This is a space for women and we include trans women in that. And as you're describing that, what what stands out to me is that the the conversation was there may there will be people who've already bought spaces on this retreat who may not be comfortable with and i was thinking but wait wait a second it, isn't it surely not about how those people are who've already bought are going to feel but will the trans person be safe and welcome and integrated and there are there are so many different not only two so many different facets to the conversation and how how you bring that into your branding and how you bring it into your language yeah. and and I'm, thank you for for going deeper into that and giving us another another concrete example. And it reminds me, I'm doing some work in person right now, which I'm loving doing work in person with a client here in Geneva. Um, to your point about you know when the eyes light up, and because the work that I do is quite deep and and it's not efficient in the like get it done in a day way. It's something that really needs to mature and take time. So there are days when I'll say I'm just going to get the slouchy poofy chair from the next office so that you can just like lie down while we continue this, <laughs> this work of messaging or, you know, I, I extract stories from you or whatever. And one of the things that we were doing, cause we're doing this work in French, which is my, my mother tongue and my father tongue, I suppose is English. Um, and one of the gender is a, is a very real, is very present in French. It's, it's not a table. It's table is a feminine noun and tree is a masculine noun and lamp is a feminine noun. And I don't know, shelf is also a feminine noun. I'm trying to think of something else. Anyway, the microphone is a masculine noun. And so, and, and pronouns become really complicated because they're, it's just really complicated the way that 
it, everything is gendered all the time in the language. And so having the conversation with this particular client about how, given who the audience is, how far as we're building the brand voice guide and as we're getting super, super, super clear and specific and detailed about how language is used, how far are we going to live the value of inclusion, which is one of the five main themes of, of topics that they talk about, how far are we going to take that? Are we going to use a new as yet unpracticed combined pronoun, which is yell instead of il and elle is yell. They've combined them. How, you know, knowing who we're asking to use the pronoun, are we going to lose them? Is it worth going into things gradually? Are we identifying pronouns on emails? Like it's that level of granularity that we are looking at to to get super clear from the leadership right through the whole project of how are we demonstrating our inclusion and where are we, you know, where are we requiring it? Where are we encouraging it? And how far are we taking it just now at the beginning of this project versus how far we want to take it moving forward? So it's, it's something that in a, in a brand, in your messaging, even if you're messaging in English, <laughs> which everyone listening to this, I'm sure is, it's really important to think about how you use your words. Mm -hmm. And it's not a question of, you know, being super pedantic or too picky or overly sensitive. It's none of those things that get thrown around. Oh, it's just a joke. You know, it's all part of that kind of way of, of responding and not taking responsibility. It's really important to think about how you are messaging mm -hmm. and who you're excluding. And do you mean it? Yeah. Is that on purpose? And yeah. what are the consequences of that? Yeah. And there are two parts, two, two, two things that I would like to come through from that with. And the first one is we go back to what we said at the start, which is any time that you are having to perform in a certain way and try to be something, whether that's who you are as a brand or you are trying to cater to an audience who has outdated views or you are making assumptions about how they're going to feel if, if a space is actually inclusive. You know, you've suddenly got a whole load of unknowns because you are making assumptions about other people and you do not know the answers and you are trying to cater for something then you don't know it. You know what the easy answer is? Is know who you are and be that. Which means if your instinct is to create an inclusive space, then you do it and you just stand up and be open about it. And yes, there may be fallout, but if there is, it'll be over fairly quickly and you no longer have to try because you just get to turn up and be and function in the way that you are. The other side of that is if you are creating a brand that puts you in a position of authority as somebody who is curating space or leading people in any way, shape or form, you have a responsibility to do it in a way that is ethically sound you have a responsibility if you this is this is where we get into allyship as well so if you are somebody who for mm. example has gender privilege if you are somebody who when people see you in the street they automatically assume you to be the gender that you are you have privilege and you have the opportunity to use that privilege to be one of the people that says hey i'm not going to assume your gender i'm going to ask you what your pronouns are i'm going to make my pronouns clear because that facilitates this conversation, but it simply, it firstly, it helps bring it more into, into the public consciousness, but it also acts as a 
little quiet flag waving moment where you say, I'm a safe person. Yeah, Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility if you're putting yourself in a position of leadership within your brand to do it well. And that means that if there are people that you have historically worked with whose perspectives, whose values, whose prejudices do not align with your own, then you get to make some choices about how you work with those people moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And as part of the evolution of the brand and as part of the evolution of the business, a a brand is an entity and doing things the way we've always done them within a brand, with a brand, because we've always done them that way, isn't intelligent. It isn't strategic. It isn't necessarily the best for business. And it certainly is often not the best for the humans who come into contact with the business. And as we know more, we can do better, right? We can do differently. We can make different choices. And that's something that I would encourage you as you're listening to do when it's something that I do. And if you haven't yet listened to my episode uh, where I talked to Abby Hawker, who is the founder of Transmission PR, um, please go and do that. This is another great conversation and a, a good corollary to this part of my conversation with you, G. Um, because Abby, has, who is someone that I worked with in, in a PR agency in London in the noughties, um, has set up this PR agency specifically to showcase transgender PR professionals' talent to showcase transgender business owners to bring the messaging around inclusion and openness and creating safe spaces for transgender people through communication. That is her whole mission. And she has a great team of transgendered professionals who, who work with her. So I encourage you, if you haven't yet listened to it, to go have a listen to that conversation as well about how we can be allies and we can signal, you know, those, the more of those quiet flags there are in our brands and in our messaging that say, you're safe here without it having to be, you know, putting up a big marquee in the center square and, and, you know, trumpets and all the things quiet safety, I think goes, goes a long way. And it's, it's important to think about it. It does go a long way. And it also, if you really want to go down to the absolute black and white of it, it's also going to make you more money. The stats exist. The research has been done. We know that businesses that whether loudly or quietly actively talk about the fact that they're inclusive get a greater slice of the market share so even if you're not bothered about the ethics of it and you just want to make a bit more dough it's still worthwhile doing yeah although hopefully having listened to this conversation you'll understand a little bit more um, or have a, a, a new perspective or a deeper perspective on why it does matter so much. Gee, I could talk to you forever. I think we've made it through all of my questions, but I am thankful for you um, being as open as you are and as generous as you are, as kind as you are as well. It's something that I notice infuses your brand of communication that you seem to have an ability in your quite even you know, consistently even keeledness, at least presenting that way. Um, and you've said you only do things that are real. So I'm going to, I'm just going to decide that you are 
generally an even keeled person by choice or by practice. Um, when you are communicating, and it's been evident today again, about things that are quite difficult and can be quite emotive, you always do it with kindness. And that is something that I associate very much with your brand of showing up in the world. And it's remarkable because there's not a whole lot of that around. So Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest today. It's been It really, pleasure. really has. Thank you too. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Brand Up Podcast, the neurodivergent founders hub for all things brain, voice, and brand. If you'd like to learn more about what you heard today, head to the show notes for all the useful usual links. Most importantly, if you're ready for marketing to be easier, and if you have a niggle that working on your brand voice strategy and messaging will help, psst, it really will. I'd love to talk to you about your brand. You can book a chat with me by reaching out on socials or through the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to follow the podcast and do leave us a review. That way, more brilliant neurodivergent founders like you and me will find the podcast and get the support they need. Marketing can be easier, more effective, and more fun when you share what's in your brain so your brand can grow. Speak soon. Thank you.